Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. I'm Mark Dolan, and this is Headliners, your first look at tomorrow's papers. Tonight, I'm joined by the Tweedledee and Tweedledum of the comedy circuit. I'll let you know who's dumb later in the programme. Yes, I'm delighted to welcome Josh Howie and Steve N. Allen. Obviously, work it out for yourselves. Let's have a look now at tomorrow's front pages. And we start with the male newspaper. Tories must quit Boris Witch Hunt. Tory MPs involved in a witch hunt investigation into Boris Johnson over Partygate should quit the inquiry team, according to a cabinet minister insider speaking to the paper. Next up, the Daily Telegraph, and they're leading with sprint to avoid NHS meltdown in winter and hose curbs ridiculed for giving all clear on new lawns. Also, charities return to knocking on doors amid the cost of living crisis. Next up, The Guardian, alarm as leak reveals Dominic Raab's plan for new assault on judges' powers, which we'll come to very shortly. Row over Met's 650 child strip searches and Egypt brokers ceasefire in Gaza. Some rare good news that adorns one of the front pages. Financial Times next, Tory frontrunner Trust faces pressure over her cost of living plan. The Daily Mirror... Cost of living exclusive, get back to sort crisis. Ex-Prime Minister Gordon Brown demands action and the immediate recall of Parliament. Cobra Emergency Committee must meet daily to tackle mess, says the former Premier. The Times now, police must consult victims when releasing suspects on bail. Get inflation down before cutting tax. Voters urge the Tory leadership hopefuls, warning to Liz Truss over cost of living fears. And step up heart health, step up heart health with a stroll after dinner, say the Times. The Metro now. Golden Girls, England's hockey team, win historic gold medal. More good news for women's sport. Also, trauma of 650 kids in police strip searches. The Metro covering that story as well. And last but not least, some much-needed levity. The Daily Star, 35 degrees centigrade pongemic. It's the pits. A water company has kicked a stink by suggesting we should stop showering and wipe ourselves with a flannel instead. That's drought of order, say the star in what is definitely the pun of the day. And those are your front pages. Let's introduce the squeaky clean team of Josh Howie and Steve N. Allen. And we begin with the Tory leadership hopeful's solution to the cost of living crisis, Josh. Well, this is uh, Rishi Sunak. He's pledging billions more to ease the cost of living crisis, which is a, is a good idea. But what he's saying here is the country faces a stark choice between clear-eyed uh, realism and starry-eyed boosterism. Uh, but he hasn't actually said which one he is of those two, <laughs> so I'm not sure which is which. Uh, essentially, what it comes down to is Liz Truss is 
saying that she'll cut taxes and going down the traditional conservative route. And he say he thinks that the Rishi thinks that there should be more targeted mm. um, uh, sort of giving or not, you know, helping out of the people, certainly pensioners, people on low incomes who need that help much more directly. And has sort of criticised her for saying, you know, that she wouldn't actually look into any of these. Um, sort of uh, helping, you know, handouts, as she calls it. But people are going to need it very soon, and it's... Well, yeah, because, I mean, I, I don't think that Rishi Sunak's message has landed that, that he wants tax cuts, but not yet. Yeah. That, 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 that he thinks they could be inflationary and that they're unaffordable, that if you have tax cuts, you all have to borrow to pay for those. But it's not a message that's landing with, uh, with those who have a vote in the Tory contest who, who uh, seem to be backing trust all the way. Yeah, it's strange. It's almost like... Tories' uh, membership are just looking out after themselves. <laughs> Strange that. <laughs> outrageous. An outrageous slur. Uh, Steve, what do you think about this? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, poor old Rishi Sunak's down and out anyway. I mean, everything he says now looks a bit desperate in my view. Well, but also because he's trying to stick to this clear-eyed realism, what a foolish move. Because meanwhile, cut to Liz Truss, who can just say whatever she wants and just deliberately say things to appeal to the people who will be voting. There's no point saying something in an interview that's going to impress us. We don't get to vote in it. Mm. There's just the Conservative membership, so say things that appeal to them. And she did. She said that uh, the Conservative way is tax cuts rather than handouts. And that's all very well if the people who need help are all paying tax. But if they're not, how are you going to get the help to the people who aren't paying tax? But all of a sudden, this 1,200 quid's worth of extra fuel bill still needs to be paid. You've got to pick your conservatives. The, the challenge for Liz Truss is that she, you know, she's likely to be our next prime minister. She's just got to be careful what policies she commits to because once she's in number 10, whatever she does is going to have to work. Otherwise, she won't win in two and a half totally years. Totally scrapping time. inheritance tax. That's one of her policies. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm sure they'd love that. There you go. That would, uh, that would definitely uh, ruffle a few feathers. Well, let's move on to The Guardian now and a pretty scary story if little things like, I don't know, freedom are important to you, Steve. Yes. Uh-oh. A leaked report suggests Dominic Raab is trying to curb judges' powers, aiming for a world in which the government is above the law. The details would be the changes would affect... Uh, they would limit ministers' accountability in judicial reviews uh, brought by claimants concerned about the way that decisions have been taken. So, should we be worried? Do we need to worry that the government is trying to move itself beyond the control of the courts? I mean, no, because if they do something that we don't like, we can always go on a protest. Nope, wait a minute. Oh, but it's all right. If they do something really bad, we've always got the uh, human rights... Oh, wait a minute. But it's OK, because this is not a government that's ever got, like, a track record of handing out contracts to friends. Darn it! So maybe we should be worried, I think, is what we're aiming for here. Um, it does seem a bit cheeky, doesn't it, trying to move yourself... Because even if you like all of the things that uh, they're standing for... Because in it, it's sight. Rhetoric by ministers saying things that judges are out of control and lefty lawyers. We, there's a phrase that we use all the time, lefty lawyers. Even if you don't like lefty lawyers, if the government gets the power to be beyond the reach of the court, at some point it'll be the government you don't like that will then have that power. So, uh, And then the Ministry of Justice said it doesn't comment on leaked documents... Uh, and pretty soon they won't have to comment on anything. What are we going to do about it? Although, of course, this is an elected government, uh, Josh Howey, and, and uh, there are many voters out there who feel that courts have become increasingly politicised, whether it's rulings on Brexit or, indeed, the Rwanda plan. Well, exactly. But as Steve says, the point is that those might be particular cases that you might disagree with or whatever, mm. but it's a slippery slope. You take away those protectionisms there, then guess what? Next time it's going to be something that you care about or feel differently or feel opposite to. So that's why these things exist in the first place. And on top of that, it's coming on the back of just a few weeks ago, uh, 
the last judicial, uh, judicial uh, Review and Courts Act just came into... Into, into play. So it came into effect on the 15th of July. So they've already done all this stuff. They've spent the last year actually examining what changes can be made and this and that. And now they're saying, oh, now we want more. Uh, important question. Why do they still wear those silly wigs? Mm. Let me wait. Right, it is. I think that's something that Dominic Raab should, uh, should address. Oh, yeah, they're, they're... It's to make it easier for the, the court reporters, surely, just to sketch down, you know, the one wearing the wig. Easier to draw, like a template. <laughs> As soon as you can do wigs, you can be a sketch artist. Oh, you see, we have our answer. On to uh, Monday's Daily Mail and good news that the latest flare-up in Gaza is hopefully calming down. Josh, uh, what's this? A positive news story in 2022? Crazy, yeah. So, uh, yes, Israel uh, and, uh, the, uh, and Islamic Jihad... Uh, I wish one of those is the goodies and the baddies there. Straight, it must be a hard thing to go, oh, yeah, the, which one is it? The, the Jihad group? that are backed by Iran or, the, or, the, the, or Israel. The elected elected yeah. democracy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a strange one, this. Uh, but, yes, there has been agreement on both sides for a ceasefire. Hopefully, that will uh, stay in effect. Um, there have been... 31 Palestinians have been killed, including six children. Uh, what's it not really reported or not reported that widely is that, that at least four of those six were uh, tragically killed by rockets coming from Gaza. So coming from, and that's like Israel's got like irrefutable troop proof that like a video of like that going off. And, and so 600 rockets were shot towards Israel from Gaza and 100 of them fell short, killing their own citizens. In this case, you know, four children. So tragic. It's, it is tragic. Um, I'm glad that this is seemingly coming to an end. I think that Israel's side of it is that they achieved and it was actually a preemptive strike. So they, they weren't responding to something. They were responding to what they're saying were uh, significant threats in terms of terrorism coming towards them, and they acted first. And I, my understanding is they've actually wiped out a lot of the uh, Islamic Jihad leadership, and so I think their goals have been met. And the good thing is that it's not drawn Hamas into the, the fight as well. So I think it's like they've dealt with what they needed to, and hopefully now that means this is going to be over. Josh, will we ever see peace in this region? Well, I'm going there tomorrow. Yes, I, of course, I, I hope so, but you're not going to necessarily get it with Hamas that's part of their charter to destroy Israel and basically throw every Jew in the sea. Uh, there isn't a leadership at the moment. You know, when people say, first, first of all, there haven't been elections in the Palestinian territories or in Gaza, uh, I think, for like 15 years now, 16 years, so you don't have a democracy there. Um, and... Uh, and actually, you've got Hamas fighting against the Palestinian Authority, so you don't have this Palestinian leadership who, who could take the Palestinian people to the necessary peace. Peace has been offered to Pal Palestinians, like, ten times, I think. And that would, that would be a sort of deal over sort of land and territory... And Absolutely. ..construction Look, it, projects and all the rest of it. People... Want, who doesn't want peace? And the thing is, in the meantime, Israel is making peace now with its neighbours. Already started with Egypt and Jordan, but the Abrahamic Accords... The Abraham, uh, you've got, uh, like, the um, Qatar... Uh, not Qatar, uh, but uh, the UAE. Yeah. Uh, even Saudi Arabia now is allowing Israel, uh, Israeli planes to fly, fly through their airspace. So all these other countries are, are now... have made peace, or Algeria have, have made peace, or are on, on their way to making peace. Yeah. So the region is changing, uh, and then the hope is that that will somehow feed back to those regions in Palestine to then... Of course, that's what people want. They, I, I want a two-state solution. That has been what's the idea for many years now. It's just... Does Israel want it? Of course it does. 
But what it also needs to do is protect itself. So when you had, like, the Oslo Accords in the 90s, and after that, and essentially everything was offered to Arafat, and he still turned it down at that point, and then incited the second intifada, and you had... I don't think people can really imagine what it was like in Israel, but from what I know through friends and you know, relatives, it, you know, it was literally just bombings, like, every day, every second day, every time you went to a cafe, everywhere. And Israel's an incredibly small country, so... It's like your friend, your friend's friend, your cousin, whatever. People knew people who had been killed or maimed. And it was like, and it was incessant until, guess what? They built the wall. Now, a lot of people are very much against this wall and these facts and say, oh, this is against human rights and stuff. Guess what happened, though? Those bombs went down to zero. Yeah. So what, what are you going to do? If it happened here between Wales and England, you, you don't think that there would we build a wall or people don't sort of go... What would we do in that situation? Well, I would like, to, I would like to, to build a wall. I'd stay in Wales, because it's a very beautiful country with very nice people who enjoy a drink and a good company. Uh, speaking of which, Stephen Allen, uh, am I the only one that misses Gordon Brown? Of course I'm joking. Um, yeah, Gordon Brown's back in the news in The Independent. Uh, demands an emergency budget before this financial time bomb goes off in October. Um, Gordon Brown, remember him. He was obviously made famous by the phrase bigoted woman. Um, <laughs> which, of course, the biggest problem there is because she I said... I thought he said big... Breasted. Th yeah. Oh. Well, I'm... That throws a whole well, I, thing I agree. I, I, thought I, heard, I thought it was a compliment. Yeah. yeah I said, said oh, she, she was a big... Anyway, sorry, But mate. she famously <laughs> said, uh, where are all of these Eastern Europeans coming from? A question that very much answers itself. Mm. Um, so the fact that if she didn't even know that it was Eastern Europe, then she's got bigger problems. He has said that the unprecedented 49.6% of the population of the United Kingdom are under threat of fuel poverty in October. Mm. And the problem is there's no leader in charge. We're messing around trying to work out who's going to be in charge. Nothing can get done until, until September. So in September, I sound like Wycliffe Sean then. Until September, um, we can't get things sorted, really. So an emergency budget then might be in time to try and save things. A government spokesperson said that 8 million of the most vulnerable British families will get £1,200 direct payment. Well, 8 million's nowhere near this 49.6% of the British population. Plus, also, the same report says that the worst-off families will be 1,600 quid worse off. That very much drinks up that 1,200. Uh, bit of a mess. What should be done? You, you kind of have to pick your conservatism. Do you think it's not the job of the state to pay people's bills for them mm. and the energy companies, well, they've got to charge more if their energy costs more. And if you do think that, you've just agreed to let some people go over the edge. Well, what's, what's scary, and of course, you know, I, I want support for those who are struggling right now and will be struggling in the winter months. But really what you've got is sort of government in an arms race with inflation. Mm. And that's the issue, because the more they borrow, the more they spend, the more inflationary it gets. The same with pay rises in the public sector. Again, I'm, I'm sure merited in, in many cases. But, you know, if you're the new prime minister, you've probably got to fess up with the country and say, do you know something? We're buggered. Mm. You know, there's, there's only so much the state can do. The country's broke. Yeah. Well, oh. what, yeah. Or is that, is that a little defeatist? No, I don't know. I mean, there are, there hopefully there is a way through. And we, the we, idea that, this illusion, that, this mirage that no, the government will fix it. That, what are they going to do? That in another six months, that if depending on world events, but also the, the inflationary... Um, we're not going to feel those forces so greatly and things will start coming back down again. It won't be at this sort of 15%, 9% and come back down to a much yeah. more manageable level because it's not... It's the fuel that's pushing everything up and certain things are actually coming back down again already. Yeah. But why Johnson decided to hold into power through the summer and why he didn't just get an interim PM who ha give someone who actually cared. What you know, he's on holiday. The Chancellor's on holiday. 
I do find it odd, actually, and I don't want to indulge in Boris bashing because he's out now, he's paid the ultimate price, but you would think that he, he, he could spend the rest he's of his... He's paid a price, I know he's paid the ultimate <laughs> oh, yeah, price. Oh, yeah, no, he's, that's, that's a, let's not do that. We, I didn't we, realise. Yeah, we're not living in medieval times, yeah. not yet. But, uh, you know, he can spend the rest of his life on holiday. If I was him, I'd stick around. But the problem is, you see, he's got, he's got no real leverage or authority or a mandate to do anything now. Because that's what happens if you, if you stop... You know, if, you, if you resign as Prime Minister but stay on for a few weeks, you, you don't have any, any power. It's powers. been a few months and this is a critical time. You're not, allowed, you're not really allowed to do anything. That's it's a critical time. But who knows what he could or couldn't do? I don't, but I certainly know what he can't do if he's on holiday doing stuff and the Chancellor can't yeah. do stuff on holiday. That's what I say, have an interim PM who mm. actually would have some power. Oh, yeah, and maybe an interim PM who brokers a deal with both yeah, candidates. Absolutely. So they say, look, well, when either of you get in, can we all agree that we'll definitely do dot, dot, dot? Totally, yeah. It's... Well, should we do that? Do you want to... You... What are you up to this week? No, I'm going holiday. OK. Right. With Boris Johnson. Uh, listen, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, slide straight into uh, a story about this, which I think is very interesting in this section. Uh, the Mirror, Rishi Sunak's new election motto, education, education, education. And then a bit more education, <laughs> Yeah, it's that extra bit. That's the important yeah. thing. Um, so the latest Rishi for PM update, he's saying that uh, maths and English should be studied at school up to the age of 18. So he's trying to play to the traditional values because he knows who's going to be potentially voting for him. The thing is, I don't disagree. We are one of the few countries that doesn't have English, the, the nation's language and maths taught to the age of 18. People are in school anyway, so why not? I agree, other than maybe the English bit. I mean, you don't really meet people who can't string a sentence together, but you definitely meet people who can't do maths. Why are we not sticking to it and have a little bit... I, you know me, I love the maths. My belief is that everyone can do maths. Some people are scared of it. So a little bit more in school won't, won't harm anyone. He also wants to get rid of degree courses that don't improve earning potential. Bye-bye film studies. Bye-bye <laughs> uh, stand-up comedy. <laughs> yeah, courses. Shouldn't, yeah, shouldn't be a be, degree, it? should yeah. it? Um, and then technical courses, brilliant, yeah, because you don't need a plumber who's got a fine arts degree. All they're going to do is fix your pipe whilst critiquing your wall art. Um, and no-one needs that. Uh, Liz Truss said that she wants to replace failing academies with free schools, although the sentence should probably be replace them with failing free schools, but it's a new name, so it won't seem so bad for a while. Uh, you, you, you never meet anyone that can't string a sentence together. Have you never watched Love Island? Oh, hard. <laughs> but they're worse at maths. Bad. Yeah, no how bad they are that's a, fair, that's a fair point. I'm Mark Dolan, and this is Headline as your first look at tomorrow's papers. And with me in no particular order... Oh, no, wait, I've been told uh, it's Josh Howie and then Stephen <laughs> Allen. Yeah, better, better get that right. It's a strong pecking order. Uh, Josh Howie and introducing Steve N. Allen. <laughs> uh, Josh, Monday's Times has the story that maybe the Scottish diet is hazardous to children's health. I can't believe that. Yeah, strange. Uh, number of obese children uh, is up by half in Scotland. So That's devastating. That is devastating. Uh, it's 15.5% of children north of the border, 14.4% in England, so seemingly not a massive shift, but still worse up in Empire Scotland. And those are terrible figures anyway because we're talking about lifelong health effects. And what, if you are obese as a child, you're more likely to continue through that way into being an adult with all of the detrimental um, effects to your long-term health, you know, yeah. uh, including cancer and various other things. Now, what's interesting is that this has kind of identified this thing in the Times is about why it might be more so in Scotland. Because one of the things is, and that's, this isn't the thing that why it's more in Scotland, but certainly they're talking about how healthy food costs £8.51 uh, per 100 calories and um, basically a, a, a obesogenic items 
i.e. sort of processed food, costs £3.25 for the same amount of calories. Now, that is a massive, massive difference there. And, that, and so when you do see overweight kids or there is this judgment, or certainly I know from my part, until you sort of start understanding how actually it's a lot cheaper and easier for your know, single parents or working parents to just grab their kids at McDonald's, grab themselves something like that. And there's nothing wrong with the occasional McDonald's, but when that becomes people's everything that they eat, that is obviously having a massive impact. What's making Scotland possibly different here is they're talking about the high levels of physical uh, inactivity and also um, food security. Now, they're saying here due to financial pressures because of COVID-19, I'm sure that's part of it, but I'm wondering how much that difference might be because wasn't it the lockdowns and wasn't everything a bit more stringent up in Scotland for sure. in terms of children being able Longer to get out there? Longer and stricter. And to be out there. And I'm wondering if that has partly affected... Well, also, we're masking kids, uh, not just in the classroom, but, but in, in other settings. You know, was that good for their physical activity? Because, you know, whether you love masks or not, I think we can all agree it's hard to do exercise if you're wearing one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Well, so I was still running, exercising during the lockdowns, didn't wear a mask for it, but mm. you're out. that was one of those situations where I... Are you sure you were I, I know, I never looked like it, really? but I'm not That's bad in terms of OK, no, I mean, but, you know, uh, good But you, you tend to not run in crowded rooms. That's... Mm. Unless I've been doing it wrong, then that's... But I think for them it's team games and things like that, which, you know, for, for children, they don't go for a run. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're sort of meant... The idea is they're meant to really interact with each other, and you're not doing that if schools are being closed. But on top of that... The SNP had an ele election manifesto pledge that, guess what, they've broken along with pretty much every single one, other one that they did, which was to combat the promotion of foods high in salt, fat and sugar. And one thing that uh, the, the Tory government has done and got right has been to implement exactly the same bill in England. Now, it did get pushed back. It was meant to come into effect a few months ago, but it has been pushed back supposedly to October. Hopefully it will go through you know and I know we're very much into the stuff. You've got a new kid, a new child. Like, this has real impact on people's lives, on yeah. literally the rest of their lives. And I don't think people are aware of just how prevalent sugar, processed food is and how terrible an impact it's having on all of our health. Well, I think it's uh, this sort of junk food is the new tobacco. And we know in the 1950s and 60s there were TV adverts for cigarettes in which doctors would say, you know, uh, most doctors recommend camel cigarettes, you know. And I think at the moment you've still got massive marketing around food that's really bad for your health, not dissimilar to tobacco. And we haven't quite sort of got the memo that this is really, really bad for our health too. Marketing power. And I wonder, Steve, whether it's the state that are going to have to step in here in the way that they did regarding smoking. It will have to be for two reasons. One is the driving force is just companies making profits. You can't, you can't really presume that a company's going to have the morals to yeah. think, oh, no, we could make a ton of money over here, but we won't because it's bad for people. Historically, that has not been the way that companies work. And then the other side is, um, empirically, it doesn't work. If you just leave it to people to make the right decisions, you can sit there all day going, oh, it's personal choice, blame the people, blame the people. But look at the stats right now. Clearly, we need some sort of help. The only people who well, can step in. I've got an idea, because Mr Mark Dolan has been my diet guru yeah. the last few weeks, and I just... Don't Look at this, folks. I don't know if we get this on TV, guys. It's not there yet, but it's, it's much... But 
That's all down to you, mate. Uh, well, look, you, briefly, full disclosure, you've lost two stone. Nearly two stone, Which yeah. is an astonishing amount of weight. And all you've done is you've cut out the processed carbohydrates, Just, All right? I've done is not eat for six weeks. It reminded me of the film Never Ending Story. Some, no, listen, we've got some dad bod going we, on. We definitely wouldn't say never eat, but, of course, what you've done is you've cut out the bread, the rice, the pasta, all those starchy carbohydrates. Yeah, yeah. And no, you, you told me not to eat. Yeah, you said yeah. don't eat. That's also because out the Why protein, are you trying to pretend the they weren't trying to be... A very hard taskmaster. Uh, there you go. Uh, listen, um, if you're interested in guidance on that, uh, Dr. David Unwin is a very good guy to look at. Um, but if you've got any concerns about your health or that of your child, uh, do go and speak to your GP. Sticking with the Times now and self-ID laws that are being debated right now in Scotland are already to become law in Germany, Steve. Now, what is self-ID? What does this all mean? Effectively been able to... Like GB news viewers don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the alarm's gone. Later, we'll discuss wokeness. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Oh, no, we need to do one. Um, yeah, Germany brings in uh, gender self-ID laws at the age of 14. The interesting thing in this article is about how no-one seems to really care in Germany. They're not having the same battle about it societally. Mm. Although there is a, a line in here saying that there are two options. It's either that the German society doesn't really care about this thing or the culture wars simply haven't started yet. I wonder why they'd be reticent to get ploughed into a war. But um, <laughs> uh, rules also include dead naming will be made a crime where you use someone's name that befits their previous gender. Mm. Um, there are other rules in this as well. The interesting thing... I, I mean, I take their point. It's interesting that there's not the societal battle. Mm. But a lot of the driving force for what they're doing is because the previous law was not liked. Now, obviously, you can overcorrect. But under the current transsexual law in Germany, it dates back to 81, gender identities treated as a medical condition can only be changed on official documents after two psychiatric reports, which can include questions such as how often the uh, applicants self-pleasure and whether they wear women's underwear, which I think those two questions have nothing to do with. It's what, no, I, what I do in my own spare time. <laughs> They are ridiculous. But, that, but, that is an old law, and it is ridiculous. Well, let's let's just touch though on this for those yeah. that maybe don't know self ID because it is a bit of jargon. But, yeah. but this is this is uh, and it, what happens with self ID okay. is that somebody that was born biological male uh, can simply identify and as vice, female and vice versa, and, vice versa, yeah. and they they don't have operations necessarily or anything no, like no. that. It's just that they they, they opt basically to identify by look like me, you know, and just go. I'm now a woman. And now I have the full legal rights well, you got, of being... Can I just say you've got lovely eyes? I thank you, I do You've also that. got high cheekbones, and, and this is going to sound very, very bad, but you've got a tidy little bum on you as well. Thank you, mate, and that's all because of your diet. I appreciate that. But the point <laughs> is that uh, you can basically say whichever sex you are, like, as opposed to gender, you know... Uh, so, look, so you basically would say, I say oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a woman, woman, and now I'm up for... I can, and this is what has happened, and this is what they're trying to put through in Scotland. Now... It's ridiculous that they're giving this right to 14-year-olds. First of all, giving the right to anybody, like, to just self-declare, because guess what? People can abuse that system, and that's why there are people so vociferously fighting it. It's not anti-trans, it's because that, that can be utilised by bad actors. But sexual predators would never utilise something, would yeah, they? Yeah, no, never, yeah, exactly. It would never have. They'd never join the church. Anyway, but... Um, so there's, you know, that was a got, low blow. We got issues. <laughs> My Catholic no, mother. Say, I could say I'm a woman, and I now demand to be competing in women's sports. And legally, you have that. So you've got sports, you've got women's spaces, you've got prisons, um, and this is you're giving that right to people who don't have the legal right to drink alcohol, to get married, to have sex, and you're saying to them, you now, as a 14 year old, can make this decision for you. Yourself, and and instead of your, and not even your parents are not even allowed to. Which do. means a fourteen-year-old biological teenage boy 
is suddenly using female lavatories yeah. because he's decided he's she. And, that, and that's not even... What could possibly go yeah, wrong? And, and not even going over the fact that there's a lot of evidence out there, that certainly with, the, um, with women transing to, to trans men, young teenage girls, there's certainly, you know, increasing by 9,000% over the last few years. There's certainly a lot of evidence that it's a fad, or there's a fad-like element. And that's been admitted to or talked about even now in America. They're starting to, like, one of the biggest, um, who's a trans woman as uh, surgeons out there has basically said, yes, I think we might have a little issue here. So um, that's what's going on. But what's interesting here is one of the, the editor of Emma, which is Germany's most prominent feminist magazine, said, my theory is that if the public knew what the government was actually planning here, there'd be serious pushback. And I think that is part of what the problem is, and that's how it's gotten so far. And that's what nearly happened in England under, under Theresa, Theresa May's government, where they also were trying to push self-ID, and it is also what's going on in Scotland. Although in Scotland, I think that they're finding that there is a bit more pushback than they expected. And because this is Olaf Scholz's coalition government, which is made up of a lot of liberal... They've done a massive sort of... Greens and lefties. Lots of lefties, and that's why they're sort of... And that's fine in its own right, but it just means that it's been kind of uncontested. And that's very dangerous, and I think they're going to find some serious issue. If this... They've pushed it through. It hasn't actually become law at the moment, but... You know, as and when it does, and if it does, the legislation, uh, I think they're going to find some serious issues there. Now, uh, Stephen, uh, briefly on this, I'd love you to have a right to reply. Do you think that, 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 that we're being very dismissive of this uh, German law? Do you think that they're actually making trans people feel more included with this policy? I'm still... I'm toying with this as a thought. I think there's an argument that can be made that self-ID, if anything, weakens the argument of trans rights. There are two ways of... There are two categories, almost. And some days we'll be sat around here saying the over-medicalisation, and that'll be one argument you can have. And then there's the self-ID, which is effectively no medicalisation, mm. no oversight at all. And I wonder if maybe self-identification is low-hanging fruit to those who oppose it. Why even have it? It weakens the stance of your valid point. I mean, just because something's a societal construct, as they say, of gender, well, so is nationality, and to change that, there's paperwork. So I could understand how just simply declaring something mm. might not might not add to the validity of the case. Do you, do you briefly, do you have an issue with uh, the age? Do you think maybe that, that yeah. 14 okay. is a little young or not? Yes, yes, I do. And can I just say something? I think that these laws from 1981 are ridiculous and I do think that they should be changed. OK, all right, well, look, let's power through because I'd love to get a couple more stories in before the break. Monday's Daily Mail and uh, Amnesty may have overstepped the mark, Josh. They sure did, and not for the first time. Uh, Who are Amnesty? Amnesty International, big, H obviously, human, human rights, rights organisation, you know, yeah. have done much good work to the world over the years. And the question is now is really whether they're fit for purpose. They, a report, an internal report, found them to be racist, certainly within the UK, within its own organisation recently. Uh, I believe I'm saying that right. Maybe I've got that wrong, but that's what I read. Or, OK. Uh, accusations of. Accusations of. of. Uh, racism, but I believe... Uh, and then they... But they p did put out uh, a thing saying that Ukraine was basically blaming... It seemed like it was blaming U Ukraine for what was going on with the war because certain um, parts of the Ukrainian uh, military were based near schools, whether they were empty schools and not... And, mm. and sort of putting their own in the civilians at risk. Now, of course, Ukraine has been invaded. It is fighting for its very survival. So what's going on here with amnesty criticising Ukraine in this instance. It's like... it's a, And lots of people were like, what are you talking about? How are you criticising these people who are fighting for their lives, for their, for their nation? And who have been invaded. And have been invaded here. So they have put out... Basically, and, you know, Zelensky accused a group of shifting the responsibility from the Russian aggression. And even the Amnesty's Ukraine head quit in disgust. 
And they basically, so Amnesty International has had to put out this apology, but it's one of those pathetic apologies where they basically said, after saying, we fully, while we fully stand by our findings, we regret the pain caused. It's like, come. It's a non-apology. Yeah, it's a non-apology, absolutely. I've got to say, by the way, they also put out a report a few months ago basically saying that Israel was an apartheid state. That was massively disproved. And, uh, you know, the, the, the contradiction here with, with Amnesty is they keep on putting out these reports for, like, this and Israel or whatever, but they're not putting stuff out about the Uyghurs in China. They're not putting stuff about Saudi Arabia. And when they were questioned on this, they said, well, we can't go into those countries safely to do that. Well... Maybe that should give you an idea about who the real people you need to focus on here. If you can't go into Russia and really do this stuff freely without being assassinated or threatened, or Saudi Arabia or any of these other places, maybe they're the ones that you actually need the focus of. Well, this, this has got echoes of Jeremy Corbyn a couple of weeks ago saying we shouldn't be sending weapons to Ukraine of course because is, Russians yeah. are dying. Well, they're all part of the same boat, and it's... it's... Very frustrating. Um, Steve, you do a lot of corporate gigs for uh, Amnesty, uh, Christmas parties, uh, Easter egg hunts, all the rest of it. Yeah. So, um... Not yet, but I am available. <laughs> no, uh, look, it's, uh, it's important that these valuable organisations don't fall into disreputes, mm. um, that they understand their brief, their existence, their purpose, their raison d'etre, but to not become politicised, I suppose. Oh, and it would really help if, uh, if an apology, because mistakes are going to be made, if an apology actually was an apology rather than... I mean, I'm still right, but... Yeah, I know. Well, that's what I say to Mrs. Dolan all the time. It doesn't work. Uh, Monday's Telegraph now. And Steve, when I say British gangsters, you might think East End wide boys, but maybe you should be thinking about somebody with wellies, a red face, and a straw in their mouth. Lar. I've run out of stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, criminal gangs in the countryside, they're stealing everything from livestock to vehicles to GPS systems, which you would think would make them easier to track. Uh, one <laughs> farmer said we've had criminal gangs flying drones over to see what machinery they've got, posing as delivery drivers, turning upon e-scooters so they're silent. I mean, as if e-scooters aren't bad enough in the city centres. How are they working down those paths and stuff? It's bouncy, but criminals, I guess they're, they're willing wow. to do it. I mean, it's terrifying. I understand, right? It's terrifying. Imagine that, your home being uh, surveilled by drones so they know what to nick. But at the same time, I got out of the tube earlier on at Covent Garden and you just know, you get your phone out, you're going to get robbed. So I suppose it's just because it's so rare. I, you don't imagine that it happens in the countryside, that this is more of a, a shocking story. And it comes two years after uh, falling figures uh, due to COVID lockdown, so there was a plus side. Mm. Uh, it is devastating, isn't it, though, Steve? Because, I mean, this, you know, we've got, you know, it's really, really hard to be in farming at the best yeah. of times. And it's been horrific during the pandemic. Big, big challenges for farmers. And, and you know, supply chain issues, all of that. And then they wake up in the morning and they're trying to milk the cows and equipment's been stolen. The cows you know, Well, yeah, and the animals and all the rest of it. Uh, 50 grand's worth of tractor, yeah. combine harvester. And it seems to be an epidemic, partly because of under-policing in the countryside, just so poorly resourced. Yeah, and the fact that the things they have are worth so much. And it does say they've all got good resale. I mean, I'm not, if someone turns up with a, with a cow under their jacket in a pub, you know, do you want to buy one of these? Maybe ask questions. But I, I would look at the others, but uh, each to their own. Yeah, but it's gone, so it's gone... No, I just said, uh, my catchphrase is, do you mind if I have a tug? Um, because you, you should always check a cow before you buy it. Uh, but I think a lot, a lot of uh, the farming equipment goes abroad. That's what they're saying, yeah. yeah. Polish gangs and uh, very, very well organised, supposedly, and Lithuanian. But, you know, it's gone up 40% uh, rural crime in the last three months of this year, so... That's, or first three months.
I'm Mark Dolan. Welcome back to Headliners, your first look at tomorrow's papers tonight with the brilliantly talented Josh Howey and Steve N. Allen. In fact, let me put a plug in for Ministry of Offence, which you can catch up on the brilliant GB News app, where you can see it on YouTube as well. The most recent episode features these two fabulous men. Uh, I'm afraid uh, destroyed by me briefly in the programme, <laughs> but still well worth a watch. Uh, well, look, uh, let's crack on now. And uh, this story from Monday's Guardian uh, is quite a big one, Nick. Uh, ideally, we would have the big dog, Nick Dixon, uh, but let's get you to do it, Steve. We're doing the Alex Jones story. Yeah. Alex Jones, not that Alex Jones. Let me say up top, not the lovely Welsh lady. Because this story would be very weird if it was the lovely Welsh lady. This is Alex Jones, the guy from InfoWars. I subscribe to the podcast, it's hilarious. Oh, he's, he spends a lot of his time hating anyone with ist. Like the globalists and the leftists and the cellists. Things like he's got a lot of problems with people. <laughs> the Jewists. Uh, it's, yeah. I, and honestly, you do hear people say leftist rather than left wing because ist just seems worse, doesn't it? Yeah. How language is Racist. Yeah, yeah, you put an ist at the end of it. Globalist. Um, he, and he does talk a bit like that. That's why I'm doing the voice. Mm. He claimed that the Sandy Hook massacre was a hoax. Uh, the people involved were actors. And it was all a big plot to take the guns away from Americans. So the parents of one of the children who was killed in the shooting sued him. And it's mm. been a fascinating court case. Loads of things have happened. Um, his side, his briefs, his lawyers, um, gave two years' worth of text message data to the opposite side by accident. And then we're like, oh, I think we might need to sue so you don't hand that away. Because it it's also covers the time when he was texting about the insurrection, or whatever they call it in America. This is fascinating stuff that they've got access to. There was a lovely scene where he was talking about the truth. He says, I believe what I said was true. And the judge said, um, you believe everything you say is true. But it isn't. Your beliefs do not make something true. This is what we're doing here. Just because you claim to think something is true does not make it true. Wow, we should all be forced to have that as a tattoo, because that might sort out modern-day world. But um, he also claimed that... No, sorry, he filed for bankruptcy so he could say, oh, I've got no money. And the judge said, just because you're filing for bankruptcy doesn't mean you're bankrupt. That's not how it works. And um, he's making $800,000 a day on his merchandise. Right. They're talking about. And have you heard some of the merchandise? Again, I subscribe to the podcast. It's hilarious. Uh, adverts for life straws, because you never know when society's going to tumble, you can drink straight out of your own toilet. But here's the free speech question Is it a human right to say things which are not true? Well, no. You know, that you get sued for libel. So. Yeah. Uh, and this is what they're saying. This, this sort of article is kind of saying the dangers of that is that every time you're going to have to. What, do we have to keep on going back to court now to prove every little thing? Which is something that we did have to do to be able to state that sex is binary in this country mm. and not be called a bigot. That had to be taken to court in this country. I just want to say one thing about this, right? And I know I'm, there are people out there who are fans of his or whatever. It says here, not to mention the bereaved parents who have suffered years of appalling threats and abuse thanks to his conspiracies that he promoted. Yeah. I see what he did. And whether, regardless of other things that he might have said in the past and the validity or not of them, this was a deeply immoral act... And you can't imagine, as a parent, the grief they went through and to have it doubly, triply played upon them and the abuse that they had because of what he promoted and the fans and how they went after them and said, oh, your children didn't exist or you're, you're an actor and all that stuff. I think they should have taken every penny, every cent that he had, and I'm absolutely disgusted by him. And I don't think whatever else he said and whatever, this is one of the most heinous things I've heard of. It's, it disgusts me. Do you know, there's a theory about why the reparation, the amount of money, were, was relatively small. It's because they realised there are two more court cases coming down the, the pipe. So they didn't want to take all his money and hit him too hard because there are other families looking for some yeah. money in this. I mean, I may just... I'll just get... Um, can, can we uh, move on now to, uh, Josh, the risks posed by AI? Yes, yeah, so this is an interesting thing. We sort of 
danced around this on a few stories over uh, the many months and nearly a year we've been doing this, but in The Guardian, uh, they're basically saying the EU is taking moves to beat the algorithms that can ruin people's lives. Mm. So it's really the, the algorithms, and they put all the data in, and then you're finding what's happening is that some people have been turned down for loans... Um, and they don't know, and that's the problem. And it, and it, it actually is because what it means is it, it's these something called black box syndrome, where they because they don't know exactly or they can't pick out exactly why they might be turned by a loan. And they also say that sometimes these uh, these algorithms could even be racist or prejudiced, um, also pick, making decisions based on gender. Um, so they're having to look into this to 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 basically allow protections and I guess consumers to have prote uh, protections to here and strict rules about how AI is actually going to use in filtering job applications, uh, welfare applications and whatever, and also credit worthiness. So I think this is a good step. Yeah. And I think it is a little bit scary how these sort of how things are these, you just put the data in and how it automatically comes up with this thing and doesn't necessarily take into account extraneous factors. Yeah. Well, I, I would say the, the stories, the newspapers always say AI is racist. It's not. The data you put into it has a bias. Mm -hmm. And all AI is, is take this data and extrapolate. They're extrapolating machines. AI, when we were growing up, meant if a computer gained consciousness, or now it's just able to deal with lots of data, way more than we humans could handle. And that's why we're actually we're too late, really. We're chasing this. Try and put rules in on these algorithms, but you can't manually sit there and look at all the data because the whole point of this is to have more data than humans can look at. You'll end up having to write an AI to try and pay attention to the other AI to, to try and spot racism. Already, I think, that, you know, it's out of the bag. The horse it, is yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. John Lewis are obsessed with me buying a toaster for some reason. <laughs> uh, but I don't want to feed the monster because then it will be a Breville sandwich uh, maker. And uh, there's no end to it. Well, from one set of nerds to a singular one now, <laughs> and this one's from Monday's Mirror, Stephen. Shocking. Uh, yes, a warehouse worker stole £60,000 worth of Pokemon cards from his boss, hid them in his mum's house. The fact that we're talking about this means that someone did find them all, and uh, that's the only Pokemon reference I know. Nice Very good. So this 28-year-old uh, factory worker from Edmonton, it says, who lives with his mum. No. Uh, was found out when his boss got suspicious and put some CCTV rounds from going through boxes, getting out some Pokemon, like, I'll have some of that. Uh, the prosecutor said the defendant, who knew his evolution's pre-released Chaziad Holo Holo hmm. from his Grand Bull V5 Art Ugh. Ultra Rare, almost worth the money. If he's learned all this stuff, well done. But why? I mean, no one's answered this question. Why is he worth £60,000? They're just cards, they're just pictures, isn't it? No, no, as someone who actually does collect... I don't collect Pokemon, but I collect these other, like, card games like that. It's just... It incites something within you, like, I have to own that card. That's the card that's going to put, put into my deck that I'm going to be able to play then and destroy that person. I'm a massive, like, geek, so I totally get that. I wouldn't spend £1,000 or whatever, but I have spent a huge amount of money on eBay. I may well have even bought cards from this particular gentleman... This is uh, why society's doomed. Well, people yeah. people like that are called completists, aren't they? Yes. Where you have to have the, the, the whole set. Yeah, and then because it, it fills like some deep hole within. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on that deep hole, let's move on to <laughs> our uh, growing legion of uh, entomologist fans out there, Josh. Yes, yeah, pretty interesting story. So I didn't know this, but locusts smell cancer. Uh, it's a major breakthrough because it what they can smell it early, just someone's breath just needs to go into, like, a machine, and they can tell if this person's got cancer, and um, and supposedly it can detect cancer at a very early stage, which means that, you know, hopefully we could actually really start 
um, curing it. So it's it's very interesting. And I think they've also can use it to even detect the different types of light, distinguish between the different cancer cells. So it's kind of, I didn't know that locusts, I just thought they were in the Torah, just eating all the Egyptian crops and stuff. But it turns out, actually, they can sort of maybe cure cancer. That's kind of cool. Who knew? Uh, now Monday's Telegraph. And uh, why is the sun transphobic, Steve? Because uh, it makes men hungry. Mm. I didn't realise this, but I'm glad I do now, because now, two heat waves this year, I've got an excuse for being fat. Um, you're so, not fat. Well, I might. Well, I'm sat next to two people who are fasting. Uh, you're, all... you're, you're barrel-chested. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, the idea, you're so not malnourished, what's the word, just hungry, that I worry. If someone walks, <laughs> if someone walks past us vaping right now and they smell a butterscotch, you'd lick him. Mark, he's looking pretty good. He's looking tasty. <laughs> he's looking yum-yum. <laughs> <laughs> when you look at me, does the image then turn into a roast chicken, like in cartoons? A little bit, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Um, I'm thinking but... uh, barbecue ribs, actually. Well, you mentioned that before. Yeah. Um, old chuck, rib... chuck steak. Yep. Ultraviolet tongue. rays... Maybe a bit of tongue. ...activate <laughs> the... Again, you mentioned that earlier. They activate a protein in men which boosts our appetite, but it doesn't affect women because... They still have the activation, but the oestrogen comes in and nullifies it. This is, uh, according to scientists, done the research, worked. they reckon, I like this, it's a biological legacy of UV hitting the skin to signal that winter was ending and mating season was soon beginning. I mean, I've been eating more, but I didn't realise I was meant to be doing the other thing. I don't understand that. Um, I get peckish when the telly's on. I like to graze on food when I'm watching the screen. Yeah. So, for me, I'm not affected by the sun, but I'm affected by Netflix. But you are, unless, unless you're not a man... You get the protein. Is that right? Ghrelin or whatever it's called, this protein. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're hungry, man. Gosh. I didn't understand about this is why the sun would make you hungry. Surely the sun would tell you it's the summer. Is that the idea that But now yeah. winter's nearly here? Like, if it's the summer, then yeah. we're nearly in winter. Like, that's the time you need to eat the most? No, I think well, you yeah. need to just eat all the way through summer. As soon as, as soon OK, as so that's... I think that's the idea, that nature gives us fruit in the summer as well. I see. Seasonally. Get and fat in the summer. That's it. And then you and then you just live off body fat in the winter. OK. Yeah, there, we go. there you go. Uh, but it turns out we do that all year round now. A comedian's union now from, oh, unsurprisingly, The Guardian. Josh. Yeah, so this is Equity, which traditionally has represented mostly actors, but it also does, like, circus performers and lots of other people. Uh, it's, they've tried this before to sort of go, hey, Equity has gone, hey, look, comics, come over, we'll help you, and then they haven't really done much. Yeah. A new person is sort of... This guy, Rob Lager's got in charge now uh, for co organising stuff, specifically comedians, and they're basically saying the things like pay transparency, ensuring the safety, anti-harassment, discrimination policies... That all sounds really good. I know comics, we've tried to unionise a few times. Money's been going down for years. Costs have been going up. So this has been a problem, but it, it always seems like it, you'll never be able to get all the comics to do it, and there'd be comics who would just go, yeah, I'll go and do that gig for 50 always. quid or whatever. Yeah, and, and it seems hard. So, th look, the stand-in, uh, which has got three venues, Glasgow, Edinburgh and uh, Newcastle, for my mind, three of the best comedy clubs in the country... Uh, they've already signed up. We'll see if other clubs sign up. We know that there's a lot of dodgy promoters out there, lots of cowboys. Um, so our industry certainly, I think, needs help. Whether, you know, this is, just, this is now their attempt and they actually deliver, we'll, we'll see. OK. Uh, what about the thrilling world of parking disputes now from The Sun, Steve? Um, this is uh, an issue where someone parked badly, so a neighbour left a note. So far, so good. But the note has a beautiful mm. drawing of how you should park. Um, and, you know, as much as I'd love to be outraged, it says that a driver's been left disgruntled after finding a very patronising note. Here's an idea. Learn to park, then no-one leaves notes. 
I'm definitely on. I'm, oh, oh, there it is. We can see the note now. Spectacular. That's some good artwork as well. And it's right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm, if you park and you're across the line, I once saw the worst parking I ever saw was a car that had managed to fill four spaces mm. by being in the corner of four um, parking spaces. Disaster. Oh, I don't want anyone to scratch my car. Yeah, well, I don't care. Right, there are rules. I love love it when you walk past and see a parking ticket on someone because they've not parked right on the lines. There are rules in this society. I just want to say, this is the kind of person I am. So if I'm not even, if I'm just too much, too close to a line, I'll do a little reverse and come back to be right in the middle. Okay. You like You're a perfectionist about it. I'm perfectionist, it. but I'm aware that there are other cars going to be on either side and they need space to get out and they might have kids or whatever. And it's worth that extra 10 seconds just to. Be cool for everybody. That's like that Woody Allen joke when his girlfriend parks and he oh, yeah, says, yeah. Oh, it's okay, we, we can walk to the curb from here. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm, I want to ask you both an ethical question, which is where do you stand on the nudge? Because my father, when he was driving regularly, he would nudge his way into mm. a parking space. So he'd bump back and bump forward. Wow. And uh, I'm, I'm no stranger to the occasional nudge. Really? Yeah, what do you think? Is that, is that a no-no? If you can't park without uh, touching the sides, you're doing it wrong. I think it's affectionate. I think uh, it's, like, it's like a fist pump. No, I think you should avoid the nudge. I did an accidental nudge, and then I and then this guy sort of ran out from his house. I was like, and I never do. I'm usually a pretty good pop, but this was like one time I did. This guy happened to be there, and he was like, "Oh, you didn't even." I was like, "I knew." I, I literally just touched you the tiniest thing, but this guy was like absolutely freaking out. I was like, "Look, I get it, but I really there's, look. Just there's nothing there. I checked. Mm. There's not, you know, but." Whatever. Anyway, sorry, neighbour number 48. <laughs> very, very naughty indeed. Uh, marriage troubles now from Monday's Mirror, Josh. Yes, this is quite an interesting story, where a, ma a, a mum banned her son from playing GTA, Grand Theft mm. Auto. Supposedly, she, it's 18, it's got drugs and violence, profanity, nudity, strip clubs in it and all this stuff. She said to her 12-year-old son, no, you're not playing this game. What happens? The dad goes behind her back and buys him the game. She finds her son playing the game. Oof. And then, obviously, big argument ensues and, you know, they, they could put the marriage at risk, is what it's saying here. She's gone to mum's net to ask her friends. I think that's pretty terrible behaviour on the dad's part. It there. is. Who, who gets final say in your house? We, we both, that's the point, it's a partnership, All surely. Right. So, so, Mrs Howard, yeah. then. Yeah. OK. Uh, thanks for clearing <laughs> that one up. Uh, can I thank the fabulous Steve N. Allen and Josh Howie for a delightful hour. It flew by. Headliners is here every single night of the week at 11 o'clock. Uh, Dan Wooden's back tomorrow at 9, and I'm in on Friday at 9. See you then. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.